Section 26 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J.C. Ryle Chapter 10, verses 1 to 15 The Sending Forth of the First Christian Preachers This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15 And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth, and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give, provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This chapter is one of peculiar solemnity. Here is the record of the first ordination which ever took place in the Church of Christ. The Lord Jesus chooses and sends forth the twelve apostles. Here is an account of the first charge ever delivered to the newly ordained Christian ministers. The Lord Jesus himself delivers it. Never was there so important an ordination. Never was there so solemn a charge. There are three lessons which stand out prominently on the face of the first fifteen verses of this chapter. Let us take them in order. We are taught, in the first place, that all ministers are not necessarily good men. We see our Lord choosing a Judas Iscariot to be one of his apostles. We cannot doubt he who knew all hearts knew well the characters of the men whom he chose, and he includes in the list of apostles one who was a traitor. We shall do well to bear in mind this fact. Orders do not confer the saving grace of the Holy Ghost. Ordained men are not necessarily converted. We are not to regard them as infallible, either in doctrine or in practice. We are not to make popes or idols of them, and insensibly put them in Christ's place. We are to regard them as men of like passions with ourselves, liable to the same infirmities, and daily requiring the same grace. 
we are not to think it impossible for them to do very bad things, or to expect them to be above the reach of harm from flattery, covetousness, and the world. We are to prove their teachings by the word of God, and follow them so far as they follow Christ, but no further. Above all, we ought to pray for them, that they may be successors not of Judas Iscariot, but of James and John. It is an awful thing to be a minister of the gospel. Ministers need many prayers. We are taught, in the next place, that the great work of a minister of Christ is to do good. He is sent to seek lost sheep, to proclaim glad tidings, to relieve those who are suffering, to diminish sorrow, and to increase joy. His life is meant to be one of giving, rather than receiving. This is a high standard, and a very peculiar one. Let it be well weighed and carefully examined. It is plain, for one thing, that the life of a faithful minister of Christ cannot be one of ease. He must be ready to spend body and mind, time and strength, in the work of his calling. Laziness and frivolity are bad enough in any profession, but worst of all in that of a watchman for souls. It is plain, for another thing, that the position of the ministers of Christ is not that which ignorant people sometimes ascribe to them, and which they unhappily sometimes claim for themselves. They are not so much ordained to rule as to serve. They are not intended so much to have dominion over the church as to supply its wants and wait upon its members. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 Happy would it be for the cause of true religion if these things were better understood. Half the diseases of Christianity have arisen from mistaken notions about the minister's office. We are taught, in the last place, that it is a most dangerous thing to neglect the offers of the gospel. It shall prove more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment day than for those who have heard Christ's truth and not received it. This is a doctrine fearfully overlooked, and one that deserves serious consideration. Men are sadly apt to forget that it does not require great open sins to be sinned in order to ruin a soul forever. They have only to go on hearing without believing, listening without repenting, going to church without going to Christ, and by and by they will find themselves in hell. We shall all be judged according to our light. We shall have to give an account for our use of religious privileges. To hear of the great salvation, and yet neglect it, is one of the worst sins man can commit. John chapter 16, verse 9 What are we doing ourselves with the gospel? This is the question which everyone who reads this passage should put to his conscience. Let us assume that we are decent and respectable in our lives, correct and moral in all the relations of life, regular in our formal attendance in the means of grace. It is all well, so far as it goes. But is this all that can be said of us? Are we really receiving the love of the truth? Is Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith? If not, we are in fearful danger. We are far more guilty than the men of Sodom, who never heard the gospel at all. We may awake to find that in spite of our regularity, and morality, and correctness, we have lost our souls for all eternity. It will not save us to have lived in the full sunshine of Christian privileges, and to have heard the gospel faithfully preached every week. 
There must be experimental acquaintance with Christ. There must be personal reception of his truth. There must be vital union with him. We must become his servants and disciples. Without this, the preaching of the gospel only adds to our responsibility, increases our guilt, and will at length sink us more deeply into hell. These are hard sayings, but the words of Scripture, which we have read, are plain and unmistakable. They are all true. End of section 26